0: Welcome to MintCast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. This is episode 420, recorded on Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. Enjoying the cooler weather, I'm Joe. Back from the swamps, I'm Moss. And back
1: on my feet, I'm Eric.
0: First up in the news: Mint Monthly News, August. New Asahi Linux Mac GPU beats Apple. GNOME improves Epiphany. Budgie 10.8 is out. Bodhi 7.0.0 is released. QEMU 8.1 released. LibreOffice gets a new number. Linux turns 30. Or, Linux turns 32. Magia 9 released. Linux kernel 6.5 is out and Firefox loses users. Insecurity and privacy, nothing. We have nothing. Everything is perfectly private and secure now. Then in our wanderings, me and Moss return to the fold, and we welcome Eric Adams to join us. Thank you, thank you. In our inner section, we talk about Linux on mobile devices. And finally, the zero feedback and a couple of suggestions. First up in the news, Mint Monthly News, August. Clem posted the following on September 1st. You might be wondering what's coming next and in which order. As you know, we're planning two releases, LMDE 6 and Mint 21.2 Edge, but we also have long-term plans. One of these is to update our ISO production framework. Among other things, this fixes Secure Boot. This is a big task, but it's really important for us. We've been hesitating on how to prioritize these. What ended up happening was that we worked both on LMDE and the new ISO framework. We've been reducing the differences between old and new ISOs. We've even made a tool to compare them. We're now at a stage where we're pretty confident we'll move to the new framework and we'll have secure boot support for upcoming images. LMDE 6 is almost ready to enter QA. It looks stable. It has all the changes featured in Mint 21.2, and it uses a Debian 12 base and a 6.1 kernel. It should use Pipewire by default. Also, though we haven't tested that yet, so I shouldn't really be talking about it. Both LMDE 6 and Mint 21.2 Edge will be released this month, September. Somebody want to take the next one? Sure. New Asahi Linux Mac... Oh my goodness. New Asahi Linux
1: Mac GPU drivers just did something even Apple couldn't manage. From a blog post by Alyssa Rosenweg, a developer on the Asahi graphics driver, August 22, 2023, conformant OpenGL ES 3.1 drivers are now available for M1 and M2 family GPUs. That means the drivers are compatible with any OpenGL ES 3.1 application. Interested? Just install Linux. For existing Asahi Linux users, upgrade your system with DNF Upgrade for Fedora or Pacman-SYU for Arch for the latest drivers. Our reverse-engineered, free and open-source graphics drivers are the world's only conformant OpenGL ES 3.1 implementation for M1 and M2 family graphics hardware. That means our drivers pass tens of thousands of tests to demonstrate correctness And is now recognized by the industry. To become conformant, an implementation must pass the official conformance test suite designed to verify every feature in the specification. The test results are submitted to Kronos, the standards body. After a 30-day review period, if no issues are found, the implementation becomes conformant. The Kronos website lists all conformant implementations, including our drivers for the M1, M1 Pro, Max, Ultra, M2, and M2 Pro and Max. Sorry. Today's milestone isn't just about OpenGL ES. We're releasing the first conformant implementation of any graphics standards for the M1. And we don't plan to stop here. Unlike ours, the manufacturer's M1 drivers are unfortunately not conformant for any standard graphics API whether Vulkan or OpenGL or OpenGL ES. That means that there is no guarantee that applications using the standards will work on your M1 or M2, if you're not using Linux. This isn't just a theoretical issue. Consider Vulkan, the third-party Molten VK, the third-party molten VK layer, a subset of Vulkan on top of the proprietary drivers. However, those drivers lack key functionality, breaking valid Vulkan applications. That hinders development and users alike if they haven't yet switched their M1, M2 computers to Linux. Why did we pursue standards conformance when the manufacturer did not? Above all, our commitment to quality. We want our users to know that they can depend on our Linux drivers. We want standard compliant. We want standard software to run without M1-specific hacks or porting. We want to set the right example for the ecosystem. The way forward is implementing open standards conformant to the specifications without compromises for portability. We are not satisfied with proprietary drivers, proprietary APIs, and refusal to implement standards. The rest of the industry knows that progress comes from cross-vendor collaboration. We know it too. Achieving conformance is a win for our community, for open source, and for open graphics. Of course, we have minimal funding, it's a little awkward that we beat the big corporation. It's not too late though. they should follow
2: our lead.
0: That's kind of cool. That makes me more interested in, in maybe you know falling into a Mac one day.
2: yeah well you hear I'd like to Sorry. see Asahi get done they're, they're, while their graphics driver is up to standards, uh, I haven't heard yet that their entire distro is up to Linux standards.
1: And it, it just is interesting to me because I always hear about how, you know, Linux is the the little guy and, you know, it, but when you think of something like this, where there were no standards published, there was no information published, and they essentially had to reverse engineer. And not only have they done that, they've done it better. And I think that's pretty amazing. So yeah, they, they're not 100% complete, but this is really encouraging.
2: Oh, Yeah. Next up, GNOME 44.4 is out to improve Epiphany and more, from 9to5 Linux. The GNOME project announced today the general availability of GNOME 44.4 as the fourth maintenance update to the latest GNOME 44 Kuala Lumpur desktop environment series. While GNOME 44.3 was skipped for some reason, GNOME 44.4 only brings a few changes to the Epiphany GNOME web browser such as hiding of the search the web for context menu by default in the web app mode. Several bugs were also addressed in Epiphany, which was updated to version 44.6. These include the broken save password, permission requests, unencoded percent characters in URLs which prevented the session from being saved, web views not being destroyed when the window is closed, and a crash. GNOME 44.4 also improves the GNOME software app by disabling animations in the UI according to the user's accessibility settings, fixing the ability to apply updates that require some packages to to be removed to satisfy dependencies, and improving error notifications from failed GPG checks. Since GNOME 44.3 was missing in action, this release apparently includes a GNOME Shell 44.3 with a fix for cursor offset when using a magnifier, a fix for missing workspace borders after wallpaper changes, and a revert of previous screencast optimizations due to bogus windows. The same goes for Mutter 44.3, which fixes the dynamic max render time blocking with direct scan out, adds the ability to avoid rapidly toggling the dynamic max render time, and ensures the preferred monitor mode is always included. XDG Desktop Portal GNOME 44.2 is included as well in GNOME 44.4, with a single change, namely the ability to expose the settings backend when running outside the GNOME desktop environment, which means better compatibility with other desktops like Cinnamon or XFCE. For more details about the changes included in this update, check out the release announcement. Meanwhile, if you're using the GNOME 44 desktop environment series, keep an eye on your distro stable repositories for the GNOME 44.4 packages and update as soon as possible. It'd be nice if they could get the Epiphany browser up to standards, since it's one of the two main browsers, three if you count Safari, that do not use Blink. I
1: don't Yeah, know it's, the- that's a... It's a tough road to hoe there. I mean, that, that is definitely uh, not an easy task, but I agree with you. It's always better to have more options than less.
0: Okay. Budgie 10.8 desktop release, new trash applet, menu improvements. Joshua Strobel announced today the release of Budgie 10.8 as a new maintenance update, bringing various improvements, bug fixes, and other changes. Budgie 10.8 comes with a new applet called Budgie Trash Applet that was previously available as a third-party applet, but not it comes pre-installed by default with the new Budgie release. But now, I think that's a
2: now. But yeah. now
0: it comes pre-installed by default with a new Budgie release. Apart from the usual functionality of such an applet, the Budgie Trash Applet also features support for restoring trashed files. Another interesting change in Budgie 10.8 is support for the Status Notifier specification in the System Tray applet, which enables applications to show their icons and menus in the System Tray area in a modern way that is expected from a desktop environment in 2023. The Budgie menu applet has been updated as well in this release to reorganize some of the default apps and categories Based on user feedback, for example, the the utilities category has been removed entirely and the items were moved to the system tools category. Budgie 10.8 also updates the battery indicator in the status applet to give users the ability to control balanced performance and power saver profile modes. On supported systems, improves the privilege escalation dialog with a description of the requested action and adds support for magpie version 0.X. This version of Magpie is less than 1 and is designed to be a temporary fork catered to Budgie and its current X11-only support, said Joshua Strobel. Magpie version 0.9.X is strictly for X11 support and is a fork of the mutter from GNOME 43.X. With that in mind... Josh also stated that the Budgie team is working on Wayland support for future Budgie releases, which will be implemented with the Magpie 1.0 as their in-house built Wayland compositor created on top of WL Roots. Check out the blog announcement for details about the bug fixes and minor refinements that landed in Budgie 10.8, a release that will soon be available for users of various popular GNU Linux distributions, including Arch Linux, Fedora Linux, Ubuntu Budgie, OpenSUSE, Tumbleweed, and others.
2: Sounds good if you like Budgie. (laughs) I
0: have nothing to add to that.
2: Yeah, it's nice that they are moving toward Wayland. I know that... Uh, the next article will have nothing to say about Wayland because they're not working on that yet.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> when is Clem going to start looking at Wayland? Is Clem going to start looking at Wayland? The answer
2: is yes when he has to. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. Okay.
2: Anyhow, Bodhi Linux 7.0.0 0. 0 is released. This is a favorite of mine from BodhiLinux.com blog. The Bodhi team is thrilled to announce the long-awaited release of Bodhi Linux 7.0. Built on the Ubuntu 22.04 LTS jammy jellyfish base, Bodhi 7.0 is a momentous step forward. With a strong commitment to improving user experience performance and adhering to its core values of minimalism and customization, this release marks a significant milestone in the evolution of Bodhi Linux. Comes the standard release with a 5.15 kernel, an HWE release featuring the 6.2 Ubuntu HWE kernel, and an S76 release featuring the 6.4.4 System76 kernel. We will be releasing an AppPack ISO in a few weeks. Uh, uh, That's the same thing, only with a lot more applications. As well as starting work on a Debian-based 32-bit legacy version of Bode 7.0. Bodhi 7.0 comes with an array of improvements and updates. Most notable are introduction of the new S76 release, which features a more advanced kernel for those seeking cutting-edge performance. Kernel updates are now enabled by default. EFL and terminology are updated to the version in eGit. Moksha no longer relies on deprecated libraries. The BL7 login screen boasts an upgraded slick greeter with a password reveal feature, version 1.8.1, complemented by a new Plymouth theme. The default theme has been changed to the Moksha Moksha Green theme, showcasing an animated background, refreshed splash screen, and numerous fine-tunings. Bodhi's Quick Start Guide is now available in multiple languages, inviting collaboration for unsupported languages. Thunar's Archive plugin now comes pre-installed and utilizing the Ngrampa backend. A Web Browser Manager, inspired by the classic Zorin OS Browser Manager, simplifies the installation of popular web browsers. Moksha introduces a key bindings viewer for fundamental shortcuts conveniently accessible from the menu. The iBar module now supports application instances enhancing user organization. The notification module has been entirely restructured, offering support for notification actions. For a comprehensive list of changes, please refer to the detailed release notes. Bodhi Linux has always thrived due to its vibrant and supportive community. With the unveiling of version 7.0, this spirit of camaraderie has reached new heights. A dedicated support network, vibrant forums, and a comprehensive documentation ensure users of all skill levels receive the guidance and assistance they require. Bodhi Linux 7.0 enters the scene with a fresh perspective on what a Linux distribution can achieve. The amalgamation of visual appeal, heightened performance, and commitment to user personalization positions Bodhi 7.0 as an enticing option for both newcomers and seasoned Linux enthusiasts. Whether you seek a refined desktop environment or a lightweight and efficient operating system, Bodhi 7.0 is a release that warrants exploration. Our heartfelt appreciation goes to Stefan Uram for his exceptional contributions to code themes and icons, which are integral to Bodhi's identity. Many thanks to Ryan Byrne for doing the preliminary work on porting the web browser manager to G- GTK. We also extend our gratitude to our dedicated translation team, who went above and beyond to localize the Quick Start Guide. Special recognition goes to Ihar Arishan. Come on, I hate practice that. Ihar Arishankau for his dual role in translating and for providing the concept and code to support localized quick start guides. I'm glad it was
0: you saying that name and not me.
2: <laughs> I kind of torn that up. By the way, uh, Stefan's
1: in, uh, watching the stream, so hello, Stefan.
0: Yeah, I posted the link to
2: Bodhi, uh, to Bodhi Discord just to make sure he could show up. <laughs>
1: yeah, and he just said thank you for the Bodhi promo.
2: He is a great guy, and uh, I... Have converse with him most days. Also, Majid is here from the hospital. <laughs> oh. Well, you should hop on and join us or something. Anyhow, or something. yeah, I everyone knows I use uh, Bodhi. I have been screaming about Bodhi for years and years. Uh, yep. I am technically on the team, but I don't do anything except talk about it. That's important. And donate. I, I am the sole regular donor to the project, and I wish to change that soon.
1: Yeah, I agree, uh, Eric. Well, I know you tried it. I have. Yeah, I took a look at it, and I've tried it several times over the years, and it, I just have always appreciated that it is different enough to be just exceptionally interesting, but still completely functional in every way, and lightweight, and you know, visually appealing, and it, it's just a, it's a really wonderful thing that I hope persists for. For many, many years to come, and yeah, I agree with you, it's, it's criminal that they don't have more exposure and more backers, and uh, hopefully that does change.
2: Hopefully we'll get 8,000 listeners of this episode, and they'll all go download Bodhi. That would be wonderful.
1: All right, next up we have QEMU 8.1 released with new pipewire audio backend and many CPU improvements from, from Pharonix. QEMU 8.1 is now available with the latest feature update to this important piece of the open-source Linux virtualization stack. It brings a number of new features, including a new x86 CPU model of Intel Granite Rapids. The tiny code generator now supports RDPID instruction, AES instructions can use AES acceleration on the host processor, and other new features exposed. A wide variety of RISC-V architecture improvements, from supporting BF-16 extensions to the ZFA extension, ZCM-STAR extensions, and many others. The Ventana Veyron V1 CPU also has been added, plus many other RISC-V fixes. Support for long-arch LSX extensions and various fixes for this CPU architecture. KVM VMs on a host with support for the memory tagging extension, MTE, can now use MTE within the guests, adding the new CPU type of Cortex Neoverse V1, Neoverse-V1. Separately, on the ARM side, there is also a new BananaPi BPI-M2 Ultra, the BPI-M2U board model. A new VertIO multi-touch PCI input device was added as a multi-touch-capable input device. Improved E1000E and IGB Intel network device emulation. Shadow VertQ offload support for the vHost VDPA interface. A new pipewire-based audio backend for QEMU. Support for multi-touch events with the GTK interface. More details on the dozens of QEMU 8.1 feature changes, visit the QEMU wiki. QEMU 8.1 can be downloaded from QEMU.org.
0: Okay. LibreOffice changes its stripes, or numbers, from Pharonix. One nugget of information in the LibreOffice 7.6 release announcement for those who missed it and deserves calling out specifically... Succeeding LibreOffice 7.6 will not be 7.7 or 8.0, but rather version 24.2. LibreOffice developers are moving to a year-month-based versioning system. Thus, the next release in their six-month-based release cadence will be LibreOffice 24.2 and in turn LibreOffice 24.8, 25.2, 25.8, 26.2, etc. Due to the maturity of the LibreOffice codebase, The current versioning system isn't really reflective of major changes and in turn can be hard to genuinely justify bumping the significant version number. By switching to a calendar-based numbering system, it's now decoupled from features or not of that release. There were some internal discussions whether it should move to, say, LibreOffice 2024.2, but in the end they decided for a year-year Month based scheme. There were also discussions whether to just always increase the major version number each new release as Firefox and Google Chrome do now, but that too was decided against. So next February, look forward to LibreOffice 24.2. Interesting. M-
2: makes some sense. You can just look at your version number and tell how out of date you are. All right. Linux turns 32. I'm choking on something here. Um, On August 26th, uh, 1991, there was a post on comp.os.minix. What would you most like to see in Minix? (coughs) Read that wrong anyhow. What would you like to see most in in Minix? And this post is from one Linus Benedict Torvalds. Hello everybody out there using Minix. I'm doing a free operating system, just a hobby, won't be big and professional like GNU, for 386-486 AT clones. This has been brewing since April and is starting to get ready. I'd like any feedback on things people like-slash-dislike in Minix, as my OS resembles it somewhat. Same physical layout of the file system, due to practical reasons, among other things. I have currently ported bash 1.08 and gcc 1.40, and things seem to work. This implies that I'll get something practical within a few months and I'd like to know what features most people would want. Any suggestions are welcome, but I won't promise I'll implement them," smiley face. Signed, Linus, which is Torvalds at kruna.helsinki.fi. P.S. Yes, it's free of any Minix code and it has a multi-threaded file system. It is not portable, uses 386 task switching, etc. And it probably never will support anything other than AT hard disks, as that's all I have. And a frowny face. And yes, he spelled portable wrong. (laughs) Any comments on that? Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Linux!
1: Happy birthday, and thank
2: you, Linus. Okay, next up, Magia 9 officially released with Linux 6.4, smaller disk footprint, and more. From 9to5 Linux, the Magia 9 GNU Linux distribution has been officially released today as a major update to this Mandriva Linux-derived distro for the masses that introduces newer technologies, new features, and many improvements. Powered by the Linux 6.4 kernel series, Magia 9 is here with a smaller disk footprint for minimal installations when disabling the recommended packages, adoption of SQLite for the RPM database for faster package management, and Z-Standard compression for the Stage 1 images. This release also drops the 15-years-old forked NFS code for NFS support, which is now done using system tools lets you spor- specify a port different than 80 when using an HTTP server, switches curl instead of gnuwget for downloading packages during the installation, and enables the network manager system service by default in the KDE Plasma Live ISO. Quote, this allows network connections to be managed via the Plasma System Settings tool, as well as by the traditional Magia network management tools, end quote, said the devs. Hardware support has been enhanced in Magia 9 as it uses the MESA 23.1 graphics stack, a kernel Linux flavor with vanilla stock kernel and without any extra patch set, support for the latest NVIDIA proprietary drivers in the non-free repositories, out-of-the-box support for Prime GPU offloading and the Nouveau drivers, and a new tool called Magia Prime to configure NVIDIA Prime on supported systems. Magia 9 also supports both Pulse Audio and Pipewire as sound servers, but it still defaults to Pulse Audio. Those who want to use Pipewire can switch from Pulse Audio through the Magia Control Center. Magia's default desktop environment was always KDE Plasma, which has been updated to Plasma 5.27.5 and accompanied by the KDE Frameworks 5.105 and KDE Gear 23.04.1 software suites. Other supported desktops include GNOME 44.2, XFCE 4.18, LXQT 1.3.0, MATE 1.26.0, and Cinnamon 5.6. For more details about all the updated packages in Mag- in Magia 9 and other information, check out the release notes. Meanwhile, you can download the live and installation images from the official website.
1: You want this one, Joe, and I'll do Firefox?
0: Yeah, if you want to switch,
1: that's fine. <laughs> oh, I didn't see it tagged. Are we he took two in a row that's why I wasn't sure
0: right who was yeah. next uh, if you want me to do this one and you can do the Firefox one that's fine <laughs> uh, Linux 6.5 okay. kernel release this is from Pharonix. while at the start of Linux 6.5 cycle Linus Torvalds was concerned this release may be one of those releases that may drag out in the end it is releasing today and right on schedule Linux 6.5 was just published rather than going into overtime without any extra release candidate. Linux 6.5 has many features from the AMD P-State EPP driver default rather than the ACPI CPU freak for Zen 2, and the newer supported AMD Ryzen system's initial USB 4.0 V2 enablement. Initial MIDI 2.0 kernel driver, more Intel hybrid CPU tuning, and a whole lot more. See the Linux 6.5 feature list to learn more about all the great changes in this end of summer 2023 kernel debut. In this final week of Linux 6.5 development, since 6.5 RC7, there was a performance regression fix and a variety of mostly small bug fixes, with nothing overly scarring coming up. Linus decided to go ahead and release Linux 6.5 stable. Now it's onward to the Linux 6.6 cycle, with many features to look out for, with what will be an autumn 2023 kernel release. The timing now of the Linux 6.6 merge window for the next two weeks will mean that it runs through the U.S. Labor Day holiday when a number of kernel developers may be taking time off for holiday. Well, that sounds like a nice release. Yeah, absolutely. Just
1: keeps marching forward. It's uh, amazing, all of the people and all of the code contributions and all of that comes together into our wonderful Linux kernel. All right, Firefox has lost around 70 million users in the last five years. Makes me just a little bit sad. From FossPost via Londoner, as of August, 2023, the number of active Firefox users around the world has dropped to 176 million users. A far cry from the end of 2018 when it had 244 million active users. This means that Firefox browser has roughly lost 70 million active users in the last five years. All of these statistics are taken from the Firefox Public Data Report, which is the official source provided by Mozilla for reporting various user-based data. Why it matters! Firefox is the only open-source browser in the market that uses its own rendering engine, called Gecko, and does not build upon Google's Chromium browser and its engine. This is important because it means that Firefox is the only player outside Google's reach and its monopoly. Other browsers like Brave, Microsoft Edge, Vivaldi, etc., are all based on Chromium, effecti- effectively making them vulnerable to whatever decisions are taken by Google to enhance its product position on the web. But since Firefox is independent of Google, a free and open source alternative remains the only uncaged voice on the web. However, its users are switching from Firefox to other browsers, then this could cause web developers to ignore the browser in favor of the 85% user base browser engine that is controlled by Google and not optimize their websites to render properly in Firefox, which could cause an even further acceleration in user migration, effectively strengthening Google's grasp on the web. Further context, as of August, 2023, Firefox controls only around 6% of the browser market share, according to StatCounter. But in August 2022, the browser had a market share of 7.39%, meaning meaning that indeed it has lost 20% of its user base just in one year. This is a huge drop in the number of users in a very short period. It probably means that the users are ditching Firefox for other web browsers en masse for reasons like compatibility and speed.
2: There is one error there that only has to do with Mac users in that the Safari browser also does not use Chromium, but Safari has not been created for Windows or Linux for a good number of years now. True. I keep trying, keep getting told to switch to Chromium something. I've tried Vivaldi. It's not working for me. I've, uh... Tried using Chromium today because the show notes work better in Chromium. And uh, supposedly Video Ninja does, but today it didn't. Um, hmm. I keep going back to Firefox. I I don't care that if some website doesn't load, then I'm not supposed to see that website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I use Firefox 99% of the time, but I do use uh, Vivaldi for some things. I use Edge for some things. I use Chrome, Chromium. Uh, Brave is really the only one that I don't necessarily like. And a lot of that just has to do with the weird sort of crypto stuff that they do. But um, but I, I do think Firefox falls behind uh, there. It is not as fast. And I think that people legitimately just say, I'm going to go with the better option for well, me. The
2: main, the main thing is that Google has used their uh, command of the market to be able to avoid using W3C standards, whereas uh, Firefox is still completely W3C compliant.
0: Yeah, the only thing so, I use Firefox for is um, well, streaming the show. That's it. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I build websites and I do most of my work in Firefox because it is web standards compliant. Uh, I test in all the other browsers just to make sure. And most of the time, there's not a problem. Sometimes there's really some very minor things. There's, it's not like I have breaking problems. A lot of times it's just formatting and uh, layout issues. So, um, And it, it does usually sort of make me a little upset whenever I go to a website that says, oh, we noticed you're not using Chrome. You should switch to Chrome because it's the better browser. And I think... Well, let me just continue here, and, or I'll spoof your uh, user agent, and hey, look at that. It works perfectly fine. The, the simple truth is that developers and marketing firms and you know, companies that are building websites just don't want to put in the effort to do testing so that they can certify that it actually works.
0: You should make your websites uh, all break when anybody with Chrome
1: uses them. Well, you know, as much as that would feel like vindication, it would also be cutting off my nose to spite my face. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, it'd probably cost you some work.
2: Yeah. Well, also, you know, eighty-five percent of the web would not be able to see your website.
0: Well, you just have it pop this up. You know, go get Firefox and come back. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Uh, moving on to security and privacy. Do we just sit here for 10 minutes and say nothing? No, 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 no. I'm I'm just going to say everything in the world is secure and private now. No more concerns. Yay! And if you believe that, I have some beachfront property in Arizona. I'll sell you.
2: (laughs) I've got a bridge in New York. (laughs)
0: All right, moving on to the bi-weekly wanderings, and it looks like um, I'm up first, and I wrote a lot, but I don't think it'll take me real long. Okay, I missed the last show, so I have a couple of interesting things to talk about. Um, My son got his first actual phone for attending his new school. We have him open enrolled to a school for which we have to take him back and forth due to the problems that we have with our own school district. Um, I was able to add him to my plan for a really good price and get him a free phone, the the Motorola Edge. It's a decent phone, but the problem got to be that it was not going to show up for a few days until after school started. So I ended up loaning him my um, N200, the uh, OnePlus Nord N200. He fell in love with the phone and does not want to give it back. This is the phone that I used for running Oct 4A. So um, I attempted to use the Edge to run Oct4A, but it turns out that there is a known issue and it simply will not run on Motorola devices. So what I ended up doing is pulling out an old S7, which will run Oct4A, and I got an OTG cable for it. But it turns out that there is an issue with the older Samsungs and that they will not charge through the charging port while hooked up to, uh, to OTG. So I had one of those split cables that allows you to hook up power to it. But evidently, that only sends power to the peripheral device that you have hooked up. It won't send it to the phone. Um, I fixed this using a wireless charger. Uh, I also found out that I cannot use the camera on the S7 for streaming so I can see the print because it causes it to overheat while also running the server. So the wireless charger on the desktop is just fine. I may build a mount um, with the wireless charger in it anyway, so that it's not sitting on the desk, so that way it's still sitting upright. This might also allow for some more airflow and cooling, but I still don't think that it's going to be able to uh, run the camera at the same time it's running Oct4A and charging using wireless charging, because here in this Texas heat, sometimes it still heats up to the point where it refuses to charge.
2: Joe, what is
0: Oct4A? Uh, Oct4A, well, I've talked about it on the show uh, before. It's um, basically Octopi, but on a phone. So Octopi for Android. It's what controls my 3D printer. Uh, As for my 3D printer, last time I was on the show, I was discussing how it was not printing and I was thinking that it was an issue with the fan. Turns out that is not the case. It was suffering from heat creep and clogging the PTFE tubing, but the cause is the extreme weather in Texas. Um, I should have thought about it. You know, the uh, glass temperature of... Um, what The glass temperature of PLA is 120 degrees, and when it's 116 degrees in Texas, that gets to be a bit of a problem. So... Yeah, um, it didn't take much heat creep to cause a clog. Now, we had a couple of days where it stayed in the 80s instead of go- being over 100. So I tried printing again and things started coming out well. Printed a couple of small things like another murder bunny for JoJo. And some large things like um, new D-handles for weightlifting. Um, just add some 550 cord or nylon and it's good to go. But then on the third day, I knew the temperature was going... to be uh, back up to crazy heights again, but I did continue printing um, <clears throat> and proved my theory that uh, there was an issue with the ambient temperature. Also, with some of the cooler days, I've tested out some long prints with the S7 and it seems to work well. Um, I printed, I'm currently printing a hanging lamp which has about 24 hours worth of parts to print. And I'm also printing out a skull candy bowl, which will take up most of the volume of the printer. I hope I have enough filament, but I might have to switch to an orange for the skull candy bowl. Now, um, in trying to design and print a better handle for one of my large water bottles, several designs in, and sure enough, with the temperature got to be 105, the thing clogged and started printing in midair again. And it has started cooling down, but currently I'm trying to print that lamp for my wife. So, yeah, um, moving on from there, it has been hot in Texas. So I had a couple of builds and fixes that are not in my normal range. I built a swamp cooler. This sounds odd, but it's actually, you know, not a difficult build, and it's one I have done before. I have a squirrel cage fan and a five-gallon bucket with a lid. Uh, What I did in the past, I used a bucket that the cat litter comes in, and I think the shape of that one is a little bit better for the overall build because it, you know, funnels the air in the correct direction. But you cut a hole in the top for the blower portion of the fan to go into, and then you cut a hole of equal or slightly lesser size high up on the side. You also fasten a cloth over the hole and let it drape down to the bottom. You can also get a submerged water pump and run a line up to the top of the cloth so that it stays wet, but I haven't done that part yet. This type of cooler works much better in dry climates, but it's still good. Also, it is a very similar design to an air filter so that I can cut down on particulates in the garage. Also, you need to fill the bucket with water and preferably ice, preferably as close to the hole in the side of the bucket as possible. Ice will greatly help with the cooling, but it will melt quickly. I'm going to get some Gatorade bottles because they're a little bit thicker and fill them with water and freeze them so I don't have to keep buying bags of ice or get an ice maker, one of the two. Um, Work has been interesting the past couple of weeks and has taken up a considerable amount of my time again. I don't want to get into all the details, but I have spent a lot of time on the command line every day trying to get one thing accomplished, and it seems like there is always more left to do. I have loved that part of it, but I'm not crazy of the time frame and and the zero access that I actually have on the server. Both of the tires on my wife's van were showing steel bands, like out of nowhere, just one day to the next. So they needed to be replaced. It turns out that most manufacturers no longer make the R16s that it uses, and the cost was nearly double what we were expecting for two tires. Uh, this means that it's probably time to replace the van, but we're going to have to wait until, you know, car prices come back down, but wishful thinking, right? I know that's absolutely insane that used car prices would come back down
2: now. Um, Hey, the new car is the cheapest car on the market is $20,000
0: oh, nuts. It's insane. Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, now just to look and see, cause I was curious, um, At my local micro center, they now have Pi Zero Ws back in stock for $10 a piece. Uh, I didn't see any W2s, but, um, you know, I did see the Ws. And $10 a piece, that's still pretty darn good. Uh, Which doesn't mean much for me right now, but uh, does give me some hope for future projects. They still did not have any 4s in stock either. I also worked on my pile of broken LG HBSs, which was starting, you know, to get a little big. Um, I was able to get a couple fixed and I had a couple more, um, that I took out of the backup pile because a couple of the ones that I worked on for ones that I had been using regularly, the plastic just started crumbling when I took them apart. Uh, makes me wonder if I could like use the boards off of them and 3d print a new casing for them. Uh, that would be some very precise design work though. I may give it a try, but I I don't know if I'm going to be able to get that built well enough to do that. And uh, really that, that's, that's all I've been up to. I actually got the, uh, hanging lamp portion in the mail during the show. So, um, I still got two more prints on that. I think the one is six hours and I had to split up the other one into a couple of more parts So probably more than that 24 hours worth of printing that I was thinking about. Moss.
2: Mm. I too missed the last show. I was off in the wilds of South Carolina sharing my music with a room full of other singers and listeners. I had a wonderful time, but it exhausted me so much, the long drive each way and the effort of performing, that I wound up having to take the next week off work. There were only a few calls anyhow, so I didn't miss much. We needed to get our cruise repaired as it started showing a code that the turbocharger was acting up on our way back from South Carolina. It took more than a week to get it fixed and over $500, but the cause and repair were both illuminating. It seems someone, before we bought the car, glued the valve cover on with lots and lots of silicone sealant. Accidentally, we think, we hope, covering the PCV valve. This caused oil to leak into the turbocharger from the vacuum mess. Big mess, but the only part... ...that was needed was a new valve cover. They had to break the valve cover to get it off with all that silicone. it was a plastic valve cover, if you can believe that. I am back to work at last. I subbed for the band and choir teacher last Monday... ...and the health sciences instructor this past Friday... We had a fine episode of Distro Hopper's Digest with myself, Dale, and Eric. We finally got a full review of BlendOS in. I'm getting ready for the next episode. I'll be reviewing Linux Lite 4.4. The show is going so well that we dragged our newest co host in for Mintcast today. Take it away, Eric.
1: Yes, this is my first, although something tells me not my last weekly or bi weekly report. Um, being a part of Distrohopper's Digest has led me here to Mintcast. Although truth be told, I was already a fan of the show, and it was only a matter of time before I joined in. I was having a lot of those one-way conversations that you find yourself having in the car, uh, maybe or maybe not disagreeing. <laughs> but you wouldn't uh, disagree wanting... with me, Eric. Never, 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 never. So that was mostly Majid. <laughs> anyway, or so, Joe, y- or Joe. Well, of course, Joe. I mean, I I didn't even have to say Joe, but no. Everybody Um,
0: should disagree with Joe. He's a very disagreeable person.
1: (laughs) So I've heard. I wanted to experience that for myself. So here I am. Uh, As Moss mentioned, I participated in the latest edition of DistroHopper's Digest, in which I reviewed POP OS 2204. They have some very interesting ideas and have made a lot of changes to GNOME to suit their needs. I can see how this is perilous, though, since GNOME tends to make breaking changes in new releases that causes problems for extensions developers. Any distro relying on extensions is at risk of needing to regularly fix them as a new version of GNOME is released. Maybe that was one of the driving forces for System76 to create their Cosmic desktop as an alternative to using GNOME. Cosmic appears to contain all of the features provided by their extensions and then some. And I hope they're successful in creating a compelling Linux desktop environment. I really, really did enjoy using it, and I'm curious to see what they can do uh, not being based on GNOME itself. I've been testing some Linux distributions because that's just what I do as a hobby. I looked at Rhino Linux, Bodhi 7, the latest release of Debian, Bunsen Labs, BlendOS, Magia 9, and Seduction. Many of these were cursory reviews. I tend to just fire up a virtual machine and spend an hour or so kicking the tires. Um, But sometimes it leads past that. And then I get really sort of engrossed in something and to the point where sometimes it ends up on hardware. And that's when I have actually found some really interesting distros and actually some surprises Uh, often. And and I, I try to give everything a chance because i've found that certain things have have been a surprise to me uh, things that i thought i wouldn't like that i ended up did liking so that's one of the fun things about distro hopping is that you might find something that surprises you and outside of my linux pursuits i have been recovering from hip replacement surgery almost three weeks ago and things have progressed very well much better than i had expected I'm back on my feet and feeling nearly normal. Uh, Actually, even better since the pain I had before surgery is now gone. And it's really at this point just recovering um, from the surgery itself and a little bit of soreness. And hopefully that'll be gone soon too. Yay. Yeah.
0: Okay, moving on. Housekeeping and announcements. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mintcast. If you see something you'd like to hear about, tell us. Send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org. Join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram and Discord, or post directly at https colon slash mintcast.org. Our next episode is 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Sunday, September 17th, 2023. And you can get that converted to your time zone with the link in the show notes. All live stream information is at mintcast.org/live stream, and uh, that's the end of the show for the wrap up. I've been Joe, and if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple other um, podcasts. That's the Linux Link Tech Show, tlts.org, Linux Lugcast, linuxlugcast.com. Um, you can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org, or you can buy me a coffee at Kofi, or and. Moss, how about you?
2: Well, I'm still Moss, and I have other podcasts, Full Circle Weekly News and Distro Hoppers Digest. You can email me at bardmoss at pm.me. I'm on Mastodon as at zyvla at hosthux.social, and my other contact information can be found at itsmoss.com. Bill's not here. Uh, you can catch him, Bill, at Mintcast.org, Bill underscore H on Discord, at WCHauser3 at org on Mastodon, at WCHauser3 on Twitter, and WCHauser3 on Facebook. Also check out his other podcasts, Linux OTC and Three Fat Truckers. There are links in the show
0: notes. Majid also couldn't make it today. He had to work. Or no, his daughter had a thing. You can uh, email him directly, DrMajid at Mintcast.org. At atypical doctor on Twitter, atypical anesthetist, atypical anesthetist on Instagram, and the atypical anesthetist podcast on Spotify. Eric, where can he's, we find he you?
2: He says anesthetist.
0: Anesthetist.
2: <laughs> well, he is British,
1: so you know.
0: <laughs> he, he's uh, allowed to I'm be wrong. I'm on raw. most. That's right. Well,
1: yeah, I've got a whole theory on that anyway most social media outlets uh i'm on the services uh, although i did just get off of uh, x slash twitter i'm I'm done with that Mm -hmm. but you can find me as eric adams uh please note that i am not the mayor of new york city just in case there's any confusion also i can be reached by email as of today at eric at mintcast.org in addition to MintCast, I'm also a part of Distro Hoppers Digest, as well, as well as the Linux Saloon Stream and Linux LogCast.
0: Okay, before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make MintCast possible. Someone, probably Bill, for our audio editing. Archive.org for hosting our audio files. Hobstar for our logo, and it RD for the animated Discord logo. Londoner for our time syncs and various other contributions, including most of the news. Bill Hauser for hosting the server which runs our website, website maintenance, and the Nextcloud server on which we host our show notes and raw audio. And last but not least, the Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Thank you, Clem. Thanks, Clem. And go. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Mintcast.